This episode is supported by Vegamore. I'm a month and a half into my Vegamore journey. I don't know if you've ever had a garden and planted seeds, but when that first little growth breaks ground, it's exciting. And on my very head, I can see some new growth in the areas that I've noticed hair thinning before. And it's exciting to see those little babies coming in. I use the shampoo, conditioner, and the grow serum, which have a lovely, mellow, warm citrus smell. I've been consistently using this and it makes my hair feel soft and full. And it's really important to me that I use safe and conscious products whenever I can. And Vegamore is 100% cruelty-free and are never formulated with potentially harmful chemicals like parabens or hormones. Elevate your hair wellness routine this year with Vegamore. For a limited time, get 20% off your first subscription order by going to vegamore.com slash mind and use code mind at checkout. That's V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R.com slash mind, code mind to save 20% on your first order. V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R.com slash mind, code mind. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There's more to the story than just postpartum depression. And this podcast aims to share it all from personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome back to the Mom in Mind podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. On our episode today, we're joined by Alicia Delory. She is sharing her experience with postpartum depression and a bit about how she got through it and got to the other side. What I really appreciate about some of the things that she talks about is the feeling of not being sure if her baby liked her in the very beginning. And I think a lot of people experience this it's a brand new relationship. And if you've got sleep deprivation in the way, plus depression, sometimes that can result in feeling disconnection and not being able to really feel the connection that you want to feel. Also makes us like misinterpret how uh, we are and who we are as new parents. Uh, so she shares a bit about that. And I also appreciate that she shares that she did sleep training with her daughter. And part of the reason that she did that was because of her own sleep deprivation and how much that impacted her. Unfortunately, as I'm sure you all know, there's so much like debate and back and forth about sleep training. And I appreciate when people talk about their choice to sleep train and how it benefited them because there's typically so much out there now, especially in social media about like, quote unquote, the right thing to do, or, you know, there's just too much pressure, man. Like if you figured out that there's something that you need to do for your health and your mental health that will benefit you and ultimately benefit your baby and your family, man, you should be able to do that without any backlash. That's, you know, there's too much pressure. Parenting is too hard to have to deal with other people's intrusion on your life decisions. And that's my soapbox and I'm sticking to it. So anyhow, I really appreciate that Alicia brings that point in as well. 
Alicia is a mom, a freelance writer, editor, and content strategist, as well as the author of the Amazon Military Family bestseller, Something is Better Than Nothing. She has a four-year-old daughter and is currently working on her second book. Let's meet Alicia. Thank you, Alicia, for being here. I'm really glad we could finally meet up and glad talk. Glad we finally made it happen. <laughs> right. It's a long time coming. <laughs> Um, yeah, so uh, please do um, start wherever you'd like with your experience. Okay, so my daughter Lucy, who is about to start preschool in August, I had her in 2019. And she was my miracle baby I had had lost two before her. And so that whole pregnancy was super nerve wracking. And so I actually have health anxiety. And so when I was pregnant with this little human, that really ramped up. I mean, yeah, it impacted friendships. It was just a really trying time because anything could set me off if someone was sick near me. And this is pre-pandemic. So oh, right, right. if anybody, if I thought anybody was sick or coming near me, or I did have some spotting in the beginning, it was like a full on meltdown. So I was not super, super fun to be around when I was pregnant. And then she was late and we gave birth at a birth center. And so I'm thinking it's going to be like those beautiful videos where like they're in the tub. I'm like, I'm going to have this beautiful tub birth. It's going to be so awesome. Um, and unfortunately, just the way that was all panning out, I ended up on my back. I ended up screaming bloody murder. I had a birth photographer there and I was like, this is not going to be the tranquil, oh, no, beautiful video right. I had. And so she finally made her way. I was in labor for like 55 hours. And I think I was at the birth center for like 19. And after that, I had like a little bit of bleeding. But at the time, because I am the way I am, I was like, oh, my God, I'm dying. So, but because of their protocols, right? So at a birth center, there's very little room for um, like riding it out and seeing. So when certain things happen, they have to call in the ambulance. So I'm freaking out. So actually, the first two hours I had Lucy, I was separated from her. The doula kept her at the birth center, and I went to the hospital where they were like, you're fine. You just had a baby. Oh, I see. So the like, concern or worry you had, or you felt that you could be dying because of the bleeding, and so they transferred Yeah, you. Yeah. So what ended up happening oh, was okay. um, I went to get food after. We're all sitting there, and they told me to get up and use the bathroom first. And when I went to get up, I was completely like, I couldn't stand up. I had this weird dizziness. And then I remember her, and this is where I started to freak out. Chris had, um, my husband, Chris had Lucy, he was holding her. They laid me back down and they palpated my stomach and like just blood. And he went, <gasps> and Chris is very calm. So he doesn't, so all I heard was that. And in my mind, that sets me off like, oh, yeah, like, um, there's something bad's going to happen. Something mm. bad's happening to me. So they're doing the protocol where they stop it. And again, I guess it just wasn't as dramatic as I was interpreting everything. But they were, you know, moving quickly. They do the side attack to get you to contract and get the bleeding to stop. They're taking my vitals. And of course, when I'm freaking out, you're not going to be able to get the vitals under control. Right. And so because they couldn't get the vitals under control, then they got to initiate that protocol mm -hmm. where they have to call the ambulance and meanwhile, I'm freaking out. I'm like, this yeah. is it for me. Like, they're going to do this alone. And when I get to the hospital, they're like, I mean, you're just not bleeding that much. And they're doing chest x-rays and everything else. I'm crying. Just, like, I'm just to make my sure. Mother. Uh -huh, yeah. Okay. 
I'm crying. I'm begging my mother to come see me. And, you know, come to find out Chris was just, he's like, I made that noise just because I was surprised. I wasn't scared or anything. So what really wasn't a big deal and what was like kind of more protocol than anything. I now know that that's what that was. But in that moment, you couldn't have told me that in that moment. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, okay. This is it for me. And, it, you know, because when I was pregnant, too, you're Googling all the stuff that can happen, like mm-hmm. all kinds of wackadoo. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I can't mm-hmm. drink this. Hibiscus can cause this weird off the wall thing. And so all worst case scenarios, I was very aware of. I remember going to the birth center. They said, what's your fear? I'm like bleeding to death. And they're like, we've literally never had anybody. Oh, Oh. Uh, so it was just, it it was like a hypochondriac's like worst case scenario. Right. I see. Yeah. Even though, you know, cause I would go, I'd be like, Oh, I I hemorrhaged. I almost died. And my mother would be like, you had some bleeding. You're okay. (laughs) That you had some bleeding. It's okay. Oh gosh. Right. Well, that speaks to how heightened the anxiety was. It super. Yeah. And, um, oh, so high. and they tell you that you forget immediately and you'll want the second one. That experience is still very present with me. Uh-huh. I did not forget. So even though it was one thing, it felt like another, and I'm mm. not sure that I have what's left. I'm not sure I have anything left to kind of put towards feeling that again. Even knowing what I know now, because I know what it feels like versus what it actually is. Um, Right, sure. And it's just scary stuff. So like logically, you kind of get it, you understand, but emotionally, that's it's like way too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even now I have like, I have to go see someone about a knee MRI I had. And logically, I know I probably have like cartilage damage because I weightlift and all this stuff, but that emotional part Mm. is still super anxious and running through all the worst case scenarios. So it's very hard to become a parent when you are like that. Back Mm -hmm. then I didn't know, like I was like a diagnosed person with health anxiety. People Mm -hmm. used to just kind of make fun of me and tell me I'm a hypochondriac. But now knowing what I know now, adding a kid on top of those types of fears is very, very, very tough. Yeah. And I just remember buckling her into that car seat once we were back from the hospital we're leaving the birth center because you don't hang out there like you would when you give birth in a hospital Mm -hmm. and we put her in the car seat and we looked at each other and go what do we do now Mm. that's terrifying and I've talked to other first-time parents too and they're like yeah it's very surreal having this little person in a car seat and you're just wondering okay what do we do with it when we get home like what are right right. how what do our days look like that was super scary and then, so now I have this like health anxiety for myself, but now I've got another little person and that is just times a million. Um, like a health anxiety for her or? Yes. Um, so oh, then okay. you worry about every sneeze or every oh, right. weird noise mm-hmm. she makes. Mm-hmm. Or I just remember like Googling the color of her poop. <laughs> Chris mm-hmm. being like, no, it's okay. Calling the doctor for every little thing. And it was an adjustment because now it's, I'm always freaking out about me, but now I've got something new to worry about. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we went into the pandemic right before she turned one. But yeah, so just as I'm coming off the tail end, because I had terrible postpartum, just as I'm like starting to feel normal again, it's like, oh, there's this new virus. We're right. going to have to quarantine. It was just a very surreal time in my life. I just remember right after she was born, I mean, she had a tongue, both lip and buckle ties. Mm. And they said they'd never seen a kid with all five. So they had to do a tongue tie release, but lips and and buckles and all that. And I had Deemer, which I had never heard of. 
in my life. That's a rough thing to find out about. It was very weird to be breastfeeding and all of a sudden just be, have this weird feeling of doom come over you. Like it was like the verge of panic that moment before you have a panic attack. Yep. Every time I breastfeed and I was like, what is wrong with me? Because I did not know that was a thing. My midwife didn't know it was a thing. It was the lactation consultant who pointed it out and said, no, this is a thing. And it Mm -hmm. sounds exactly (laughs) like what you have. And so I actually had to stop nursing at three weeks because there was something about holding your kid and having those feelings that created this massive disconnect between the two of us. And I was very surprised that with all my Googling and all of my different scenarios, I never came across it, but it is not something I've heard of. And most women I have spoken to about it have not heard of it. Mm -hmm. So I switched to pumping. I'm just going to pause here for people who don't know what it is. Dysphoric milk ejection reflex. Yeah. So, right. Just as you were describing, as soon as you have like let down and you Mm -hmm. start nursing, you feel horrible. And it's physiological. So there's nothing, you can't like therapize yourself out of it. Mm -hmm. It's just a weird dopamine shift. At least that's how it was explained to me. It's like a, it's an irregular irregularity in your dopamine when you let down, right? And it messes with you. Yeah. And so it would still happen when I pumped and I was pumping eight to 12 times a day, but it was better in the sense that it wasn't happening while I was holding my kid. Mm -hmm. And that little shift made it a lot easier to bond with Lucy because it, I just remember crying to the doctor be like, my kid does not like me. I don't think this baby likes me. And I had a really great lactation consultant. She would come to she'd be like, she's three weeks old. She doesn't know what she likes. She knows your voice and she knows you feed her and she likes you about as much as she can like anything right now. <laughs> but yeah, that Deemer stuff is wild. Absolutely. I've never heard of that in my life. Right. So with that, like the health anxiety running in the background, now you have this brand new thing to be worried about. And this is almost right away. Yeah, it was right away. I just because I would sit there on the couch and I'd be talking and all of a sudden you feel it in your stomach. It's this, you know, when you all of a sudden you're really, really frightened over something and you get that tingle in your stomach and it would come out of nowhere and it would take me by surprise. And I kind of just pushed it away the first time because I wasn't feeling great after I got home. I had diastasis, so that Mm -hmm. ab separation, it was four fingers wide. So I even had to like brace my stomach when I coughed or sneezed. And that was, so I was out of the gym for the foreseeable future till we fixed that. So I just thought that was all part and parcel of the immediate postpartum stuff. But then it kept happening. And I just thought, I thought there was something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. I thought it was sleep deprivation or I thought it was, postpartum depression kicking in and sure there was some of that and that started to ramp up too but this was like a whole other thing so it was this massive snowball of different things that I didn't realize could hit you all at once Mm -hmm. on top of just having a baby is super hard right yeah both Chris and I would look at each other and be like I had no idea it was gonna be no idea Right. It's like theoretical. People can tell you it's hard, but until you're in it, it, you just... I mean, yeah, it wasn't for lack of people telling us. But I remember when I was pregnant and I'd be like, "Mm, you know, a lot of people in our family had kids. It can't be that hard. (laughs) And I ate those words as soon as I had them. I had no idea what I... It's constant 24-7 of, I I have no idea what I'm doing right now. Mm Mm-hmm. And if someone would ask me how she is, I'm like, well, I mean, she's still alive. So I guess I'm doing 
like a decent job and I had some really supportive girlfriends who were like, yeah, that's all you need to do. That's all you need to do right now. Nice. Good. Glad you had that. It's hard to believe, but it's nice to hear. Have that support. Yes. Even if you don't believe it. This episode is supported by Hungry Root. I am a creature of habit when it comes to food. Like I buy the same stuff in the store and generally make the same stuff over and over. Not really that fun. So in order to shake things up, I use Hungry Root. I can pick a whole meal and they send me what I need to make it, but I will also just let them choose so I don't get into my rut. And it paid off. I got the chicken shawarma non-flatbread. These are flavors that I wouldn't have thought to put together on my own, and they totally work. It was so yummy and so easy to make. And bonus, I also received four free organic roasted chicken breasts that I threw into a salad for another meal. Hungry Root is my partner in healthy and yummy living. Right now, Hungry Root is offering Mom and Mind listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to HungryRoot.com slash cat to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's HungryRoot.com slash cat. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. This episode is supported by Factor. Eating better is better with ready-to-eat Factor meals. And ready-to-eat means pop it in the microwave for two minutes and done. I mix in a few of these meals into my rotation for the days that we're on the run or that I don't want to make anything. I chose the high-protein and calorie-smart options, one of which is the mushroom chicken thighs and wild rice with garlic roasted green beans. This is restaurant quality and so tasty. I can adjust how many meals I get in my order as much or as little as I need every week. Plus, I can pause or reschedule my deliveries anytime, which comes in really handy for our busy schedule. Head to factormeals.com slash momandmind50 and use code momandmind50 to get 50% off. That's code momandmind50 at factormeals.com slash momandmind50 to get 50% off. You mentioned that postpartum depression sort of came along at some point. What like what was your yeah. timeline? So trajectory? I'm, I'm dealing with the demer. I'm paranoid over this little person 24 seven, because of course you Google things like SIDS and, and everything. And oh, they can't tilt their head a certain way because it'll cut off their airway. So I've got that going on all day. I've got the demer going on all day and this kid is not sleeping. So I've been, I'm up for like days at a time with this kid. And then I can't, do the things that I used to do. So I'm really CrossFit is like, not just my workout, but it's where my community is all my friends go there. So now I'm kind of separated from this until I can resolve what's wrong with my body. And I just remember the first day where it really hit me that I there's something not right here. I remember waking up crying. And she had just woken up. And Chris comes in and I was like, what if this is as good as it gets? Oh, yeah. What if this is as good as it gets? Is this our life? Like, is this oh, going to no. be our life now? Yeah, yeah. You know, and he was really concerned because he'd never heard me speak that way. Mm. I have never felt that hopeless, but in a way that I couldn't articulate because mm. I had this kid and I loved my baby. And I knew that whatever was happening to me was temporary. I knew I would resolve the. And this is the part where I always felt really lucky, even in the midst of that. I knew that the issues with my body and not being able to do the things I wanted, that was only temporary. And Mm -hmm. that it was just something, another project. And I knew at some point she would sleep. And I knew at some point we would be out of the newborn stage. 
and I would get the hang of this at some point. But in that moment, I just each day, I just felt like I don't feel any hope right now. I know there is some, but I don't feel it. And it feels so impossible to even visualize or fathom. Mm -hmm. And it felt really, really joyless and lonely. Right, right. I mean, it's really tough when, uh, you know, we're talking before a little bit about kind of the split, so to speak, between what you kind of logically maybe know and what you emotionally are experiencing. Man, when those are at odds, it's uh, emotions went out often. All the time. Uh, it's tough. Every- it's tough to like try and convince yourself out of the intensity of the emotional space you're in. Yes. And and again, so I went to, I think it was postpartum international. We had the climb out of the darkness walk. Nice. And I was really just in the thick of everything, but we went and the counselor there, she was my counselor while I was pregnant and she asked me to speak. And I remember standing up there and, and saying, like, I don't recognize my body. I don't recognize my life. I love my kid and I know my life is better with her in it. But also right now it feels a little bit like it's worse. And at the end, I remember saying, I feel really lucky because in far in the back of my head, I know that this is temporary and in a year from now, things are going to look different. Mm-hmm. And I think there are a lot of women who it's a lot harder for that thought in the back of their mind to even be present. Right. So I remember feeling really fortunate because I was like, this sucks, but this is not going to get to a place where it's really, really scary. Mm-hmm. But I can see how it can. Because even that little thought, I was clinging to that with everything I had, because it's so hard to fathom that there is that light. I knew it was there, but I could not visualize the light at the end of that tunnel. Hmm. That is incredibly tough. So you're at this point, like at the time of the climb, um, how far along out of uh, postpartum? I was sorry, three months. So Lucy was about three months old. And, and I remember walking outside and talking to other moms and they're you know, one was telling me how she actually had to go away for a little while with, I think it was her second kid. I don't even think it was her first saying that it's good to talk about because she didn't talk to anyone and ended up in that place having to explain to her older child, like mommy has to go away for a little bit. And so again, it just felt really good because when all that was going on, I would, I had a hard time leaving the house. I would go grocery shopping. And if Lucy would start crying, I would just abandon my cart. There was something that I felt really, really overwhelmed when she would start crying in public that I would just leave. And I I didn't have my gym every day. So it was a lot of me alone a lot of the time, which, you know, anytime you're depressed or sad or or hurting, it all thrives in isolation. So to hear other people saying like, this is normal. And when I'm saying, you know, I kind of feel like my life's been ruined a little bit because everything is just so upended. They're like, yeah, no, that's normal. That's normal because it is kind of ruined a little bit, but it's just because you don't know how to navigate it yet. And so it was just really comforting to know, okay, I'm not alone in this. And a lot of these women seem really happy now, so I'll probably be okay. Just not right now. Right. You have to have something to hold on to. Glad you had a bit of that. It was like, how long for you did this go on, the intensity of, of overwhelm? I would say it probably started to let up at about five months when I I had had enough of the sleep deprivation because I was already pretty fragile emotionally. And when you add in sleep deprivation, I'm like, okay, this is going to get to the scary place if I can't 
you know, and my kid wasn't sleeping. So my sister gave me this book that she had tried with her kids. I tried it with mine. And again, I understand that I have like a really awesome unicorn baby. This kid sleep trained like a pro. I mean, that first night she cried, I think it was like 20 minutes. The second night, like 10. By the third or fourth night, my kid's sleeping through the night. We're doing naps. And I feel like I woke up from a coma. Oh, right. And so now I've got clarity and I can start doing my work in a timely fashion because I never took any time off of freelancing when I had her. So it was a lot of stop, start, stop, start. So something that would normally take me an hour was taking three or four hours. And I'm having to sit by my computer with a, a notepad to log the times that I'm working like so it'd be like seven minutes because I didn't want to overcharge anyone but that was the only way I could even keep my time at that point so I was starting to come out of my haze and be able to work more efficiently and to juggle my day more efficiently to kind of get myself together be like okay so here's my next steps I have to get into pelvic floor therapy I have to resolve this diastasis because I'm just going to keep sitting here in this place And at that point, too, I was really, really paranoid about not pumping enough for her. And at a certain point, I had to let that go because that in and of itself was driving me nuts. So I slowly started adding in formula. Like it became another part of your anxiety. Right. Because I'm like, oh, I can't even produce enough for my kid. This is something that should be really intuitive. This is my body was designed for this. Why isn't that? happening that anxiety felt really similar to how I felt about my body after miscarrying like this is the one thing my body was designed to do okay why isn't it working the way it's like what's wrong with me am I not trying hard enough am I not that sucks and I mean Chris and I would talk about it we would go to therapy together that therapist said I really think you should consider (laughs) adding in formula and getting some of your life back here because it's however it's benefiting Lucy, it's hurting you a lot more than it's helping her and she'll be fine either way. Mm-hmm. When I finally caved on that, you know, the first day I feel terrible. It feels like a personal failure. But then after a few days, when your kid's literally the same and nothing has changed and they're still thriving and you have your body back to yourself and all of a sudden it's one less thing that you're thinking about 24-7 I did come around to the idea that fed is best and Mm -hmm. she'll be okay. And Mm -hmm. I was okay. And so Mm -hmm. it really came down to self-care without feeling bad about it because I did notice a lot of the, the older women in my family, in my life, when I would share these thoughts I'm having where I'm like, my life kind of sucks right now. And it feels like no one really gives a crap about me. Once she's out, no one cares if I'm getting sleep or I'm healthy or I'm happy or it's all about the kid. And You know, a lot of the, and I think too, a lot of this just has to do with being a product of your generation. I think it's a generational Mm -hmm. saying, you know, what about you? You know, motherhood selfless. It's not for everybody. (sighs) She's healthy and happy. That's all you should care about. Mm -hmm. And when I started to prioritize myself a little, I was better for her. Right. Because I'm no good to my kid if I'm sitting there wondering if this is as good as it gets. I'm no good to her sleep deprived. I'm no good to her if I'm sitting there feeling really bitter that my life got put on hold and that all of the things I wanted for myself now don't matter. Right. You know, and you see that, I mean, I've seen that in my own family where women have given up so much. Right. 
and but they don't let anyone forget it. And I never wanted to be like that. (laughs) I hear you. Got it. (laughs) I never wanted my kid to see herself as like a speed bump or like I had to take a detour. I want her to know that she was something that I wanted, Mm -hmm. someone I wanted, that I loved, Mm -hmm. and that she was a really great addition to an already really complete person. So once I started doing that, I remember one night I was feeding her a bottle and I submitted my manuscript. I saw one of the smaller presses that I followed was taking manuscript submission. And I had a finished manuscript. I just hadn't done anything with it. And I was like, what's the worst they can say? No. So I remember submitting that while sitting in her room one night. Mm-hmm. I was like, let's just do this. Let's be hopeful again. Let's That's do cool. all the things that we were looking forward to before. Mm-hmm. And so, and they accepted it. So yay. Awesome. (laughs) But yeah, prioritizing that time, getting my body back to where it needed to be, taking that time each week, taking the time to do my work, making sure my kid is sleeping, which people always gave me crap because she, she had to cry it out in the beginning. My kid was getting 20 to 40 minutes of broken sleep in like spurts. Oh, that's really. And I'm like, well, I feel like it's a lot more unhealthy for her to get broken bouts of sleep than it is to cry for you know 14 15 minutes which did again didn't last long and again i understand that is not the norm um knock on wood my kid has slept every night since and she's four now she's sleeping right now for her now it's amazing (laughs) but that sleep i didn't realize how close my sanity was tied to like my (laughs) level of sleep right until because i was like oh i've been tired before i used to have to get up early for there's no way to imagine that tiredness. There's no way to yeah. convey that exhaustion to anybody who hasn't it's been so tired. different. Yeah, it is so different. And also the stakes are higher. So have I, had I been that sleep deprived before? Yes, but the stakes weren't as high. Being late for work early in the morning and like a human depending on you for survival. You know, totally and again, different. that all contributes to the anxiety that you're flopping on top of. Yeah, that's such a great way to put it. It's so real. So you, the shift is really profound and it doesn't sound like in the scheme of things, I guess it doesn't sound like it took too long for you to like, you to get a little bit of yourself like back yeah. and online and the sleep obviously was a yeah, big part I think of that. The sleep is always the catalyst, right? If you mm-hmm. have a rested mind, it's easier to see a path. Mm-hmm. And so thank God, because the pandemic followed pretty soon after that. All right. So you had started feeling better and then the pandemic happened. Yeah. So I'm back in the gym. I had worked through my pelvic floor therapy, which is super tedious. It's so tedious. I'm back in my gym. I'm back in my community. My baby's at my gym with me. It's everything that I had envisioned when I was pregnant. Mm. And then now we're, we're going into quarantine. And again, I saw the movie contagion. That thing is terrifying. That movie terrified me. And I'm like, Oh my God. And so I actually, I didn't leave my house until this last September. And it was because I had her. My number one thing was, okay, the only thing that matters is protecting this kid. Mm -hmm. And all of that withdrawal from people, then, you know, I'm then having to venture out because I see myself going back into that place. Sure. Like, okay, what if this is as good as it gets? I'm hiding here with my kid. And I remember I reached this breaking point where I was like, okay, I have to get a physical. I haven't had a physical in years. And I need, there's something, I'm feeling hopeless again up here. Mm-hmm. And I haven't felt that in so long. And so I went and I remember telling them, I'm like, you know, in my family, it's 
we look differently on medicating. So the whole time I was pregnant, like seeing a therapist, even afterwards, postpartum, like, I'm sure you don't want to try, it will help. And I said, no, there's just a certain stigma in my family that was ingrained into me that, mm-hmm. you know, doing that is taking some sort of easy way out. But I remember at that point, I was like, it's not about me anymore. Oh, right. And I am tapped out and everything I have left is going to Lucy. And I'm not sure how much more I've left when I've not left my house. And I'm scared 24 seven. That's so painful. Um, And I remember they put me on some anxiety meds. And I remember talking to my sister about it. And she's like, you know, you've been told your whole life that anxiety is like your character flaw. She's like, did you ever consider that maybe you're just wired that way? And it's a medical condition like anything else that we need to And I was like, that makes me feel so much better. (laughs) And a few weeks in, I was like, hey, I don't have that weird sinking feeling in my stomach anymore. Oh, my gosh. That I wake up with every day. I was like, and my sister's like, yeah, that's what it feels like to feel normal. And I said, I thought that was to just be low key worried at any given time. So for me, stress was when that feeling amps up, right? And you start to feel nauseous and jittery. But for me default or in my default state it was normal for me to always feel either a low-key sense of worry or this just kind of caution proceeding Mm -hmm. with caution within Mm -hmm. every day at any given period of time Mm -hmm. and so when I it was a very weird feeling not to have it anymore that is really profound for that shift to happen and it's very weird to feel it after 34 years I'm like I could have felt like this forever (laughs) and Mm. and I've done therapy and stuff so it's not that I wasn't I really was convinced my whole life that if I was feeling this way it's because I wasn't working on myself oh that's brutal right because then if that's the feeling then it it's also inherently shaming right like so it's it's because you you don't feel better flaw Uh. yeah so I don't have anxiety I'm anxious and I need to do something that is a really important distinction yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking of so many people who are going to really gain a lot from hearing your story who have a similar experience to you, who've been told that this is just how they are and who family that, you know, it's interesting too, because anxiety also can make you fear medication in a certain way. And, it's like and I've, the thing I've that always could help been you. afraid. I've always been afraid of pills just in general. Any, again, I'm paranoid. So like, any story of like, oh, I heard someone took this. And anytime I've ever been prescribed a painkiller, I never took it. I'm just afraid of it. But I remember, like, again, my sister's the best person I know. So it, mm-hmm. to have her and I have this discussion, a lot of times she'll be like, well, what if Lucy was feeling this way and she went to get medicine? What would you say to her? Tell her she's not trying hard enough. And I'm like, well, as a mom, I, I would just want her to have relief, whatever that looked like. And if there was a way for her to not feel this every day, I would want her to not feel that. Right. So I was like, the best thing I can do is help me as we've seen, because there's a history of it now, the better I am, the better I am for her. And so we did that. And then I did end up having to take Lucy. She's an OT, PT and speech now, mostly from just that lack of socialization. But again, during the pandemic, right? Yeah. So, but again, when my mind is right, I can see a path forward. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we still do the, we still mask and, and there are things I put her in on um, this outdoor activity thing where I could feel comfortable and 
get her out and give her what she needs while at the same time still feeling comfortable and like we're being I'm being protective of her mm-hmm. and safe so everything we do is always with her safety in mind so we're back in the gym but our gym is a big open 10,000 square foot warehouse with <laughs> bay doors open and so finding that the way to kind of function in this new normal without me feeling like I'm compromising our safety in any way. Mm -hmm. But again, had I not taken the step to kind of remedy some of that anxiety, which it's it's always there that I can at least look at it. My rational mind can prevail a lot more now. Yeah. And so I can find a way for us not to be hiding in our house 24 seven, taking care of me and taking care of Right, right. Because I've already noticed how much I've changed just from getting to go to the gym a few days. Right. I mean, it does do wonders. I mean, changing your environment and being around other people and the socializing and and all of that. And it's not the same where I built a home gym in my garage during the pandemic. It's just, it's not the same. You don't get the same endorphin high. It's not Mm. doing all the same stuff. All things created equal. I need the community. Right, right. That's pretty powerful. This episode is supported by Ritual. I am by nature and nurture a bit skeptical. I have to see for myself if something works or if it's helpful before I just believe it whole cloth. And I'm open to trying things out to see for myself. And that includes finding strategies for my wellness. I have a historically low vitamin D, so it's important for me to take Ritual's Essential 18 because it has D3 in it, and their clinically backed Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin has several other high-quality, traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. What I love and have always loved about Ritual is that it's a female-founded company, and it's a B Corp, which means they're holding themselves accountable And not just long-term, but also to the health of people and our planet. No more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash mom and mind. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash mom and mind for 25% off. Support for today's episode comes from OneSkin, and for a limited time, my listeners get an exclusive 15% off OneSkin products using the code MIND when you check out at oneskin.co. Well, I've kept up my mini resolution of taking better care of my skin after consistently using OneSkin for several weeks and all is going well. I can't see what's going on at a cellular level, but I can tell you that my skin feels soft and healthy. But they did do some cool research that looked at before and after exposure of the OS1 peptide to skin cells, and the OneSkin scientists found that the peptide reverses skin's biological age. And you can even see that study by Zonari A. et al. in the NPJ Aging Journal. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code MIND at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code MIND. After you purchase, they'll ask where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. New year, healthier skin. That's OneSkin. So throughout this whole process, I guess, from the time you had her to the time you got medication, what was the time um, amount of time? 
So I got medicated in July of 2021. So my daughter was about two. Mm. So that whole first year in the pandemic, it was just kind of white knuckling (laughs) through the year trying to keep this kid safe. I was the person disinfecting the groceries, all that. And just at a certain point when you don't have exposure to the outside world and you're constantly like I was constantly worried her dad was going to bring something home to us. It just became too much. Right. And I've heard if also from a lot of people who were experiencing this, like having children during the pandemic and having the heightened anxiety is that once people started to go outside, what they thought was going to be outside and how like sort of society was going to be was kind of different from what they had in their mind, like in their anxious and worried headspace it was going to be more dangerous or there was going to be more threats or like more challenges or whatever. And then when they got outside, there was, yes, certain things that still needed to be worked out. Like how are they going to navigate certain situations? But it was almost like they could see that some of the things that they were worried about were worries. And some of the things that they were concerned about were, yeah, still things we need to consider. Right. Yep. I remember that first year of the pandemic, we did take her to a pumpkin patch because I was like, okay, outdoors, safe. And I just remember anytime I would see another human, like my heart would jump up into my throat because, Mm -hmm. and Chris was like, "Mm, you might have a little bit of agoraphobia from staying in the house so long. And so, but again, we're there, I'm getting all paranoid, but at the same time, people are not coming up in my bubble. It It was really easy to experience that in a safe way that I was comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And so that's just kind of like exposure. So I anytime I could do an activity like that, I was doing. And people are pretty respectful if you don't want them in your space. I'll give them that. But it, it took a lot of learning that I could move about the world the way it is right now in a way that made me comfortable. Yeah. And the difficulty about that is similar to like you don't know until you're going through it, you know, how difficult having a baby is. You don't know what's going to work and what's not going to work until you go out. Oh, yeah. It's it's always trial and error. And the things that, <laughs> you know, like the things you think you're gonna, not going to do as a parent, you end up doing. Mm-hmm. It's just I was su- such a better parent before I had kids. I had it all figured out. And then you just become the mom who gives her kids nuggets and fries. And, and that's fine. And she's fed and alive. And it's right. Happy. <laughs> right. Someday there will be a vegetable. I know recently you were able to do a TED Talk about your experience. Can you say more about that and how that was yeah. for you? Yeah. So originally I was supposed to give that TED Talk in 2020. And my daughter wasn't even one yet. And so it was very much on the side of like, hey, I just got done with this postpartum thing. And here's what happened. And I finally was able to give this talk in April. Um, and Lucy had just turned four. And so what I really wanted to focus on was a little bit of that postpartum piece, but more so how we as moms can unapologetically take up space. Mm-hmm. So instead of just putting together all of the great experiences and outings and stuff where we end up not even in the pictures Mm. after that Mm. we actually expect, have the expectation of being able to enjoy it just as much as everyone else does. Um, And not falling into that being the default parent in all situations, even when your partner is around somehow everything defaults to you. And I don't Mm -hmm. think it's anyone's fault so much as I think it just is ingrained. 
mm-hmm. think it's an expectation. Like somewhere along the way, we expected that dads were going to do the bare minimum and anything above that. Oh my gosh, he's such an involved <laughs> dad. Mm-hmm. And the bar is so much higher for us and wanting more for ourselves apart from our kids is okay and shouldn't be seen as uh, selfish. So I really just wanted to impart that on my daughter again. She should be an addition to my life rather than I never want her to see her as anything that ever held me. I don't want her to see her children that way. Or feel like wanting stuff for herself, even after your kids are here, is somehow wrong or selfish. I mean, you can still continue on the path that you had for yourself and your life and your goals mm-hmm. and still be a great mom. Yeah. Oh, that is that's such an important message. And I, I feel like sort of sea change messaging that hopefully more people are catching on to. Because it is, to your earlier point, I think like a shift in motherhood and what was expected of sort of moms and parents in the past is very different now of what's possible for us as opposed to what's expected. I mean, I still catch myself, like even when Chris is here, asking if he minds if I hop in the shower or go to the bathroom. Right. But like he's here. Right. And he's not asking me to go to the bathroom. He's not asking me Mm -hmm. uh, to go get his hair cut. (laughs) Meanwhile, he needs two weeks notice from me if I have a doctor's appointment. (laughs) Yeah. Just subtle little things like that. Like he can move about a little more freely than I can. And I've tried explaining this. I'm like, I am the default parent in all situations. Even when all things are created equal and we are both home and we have no work to do. It defaults to me if she's like, hey, I'm hungry and we're both sitting here. Who's the first one to get up and get her something? Right. And it's undoing that and expecting to be treated the same way that everyone else is. Expecting him to extend the same courtesy to me as Mm -hmm. he would to anyone. Mm -hmm. And expecting me to just shoulder 100% even when he's here is not extending the same courtesy to me as he would to anyone else. Um, right, And that's sure. a big part of taking care of yourself. It's expecting that from other people and expecting that for yourself, because I think somewhere along the way we stop expecting. Totally. Yeah. I mean, these are really important points and you know, that your partner and your husband in, in your case is also having to make a change from, I assume from what he saw growing up and like, we're all trying, what a great word you use to undo all of this conditioning. Yeah, because, even even like the older members of our family, I remember complaining about something. It does it wouldn't even matter what I was complaining about. And I would get, well, you know, your dad never even changed a diaper, like mm. grandpa never did this. And, mm-hmm. and it's like they should have. <laughs> like, <laughs> right, right. But they should have. Right. Yeah. Or so right. It's uh, almost it wasn't telling okay you okay for you. It's not you know, it's not okay for me. And yeah. maybe they thought it was it was never okay. Mm-hmm. It's just the way it was. Right. Well, that is a necessary part of the conversation, you know, moving forward and moving families forward. It's it's so incredibly important. I'm really glad you were able to finally do that. What a long time you had to wait. Yeah, it took some tweaking because me then and me now, it's a little different. Um, sure. But honestly, I was glad that I had that perspective. So I think in the end, it ended up mm-hmm. a lot better. Mm-hmm just from that time. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate you coming on to share your story and your experience. And 
all that you've, you know, learned and are learning and are, are, are like really using your, your experience, put you through quite a lot. And it, it sounds like you're sort of back to yourself um, in the ways that you really wanted to be. That's awesome. Thank you. You can connect with Alicia at aliciadelory.com. You can connect with her on Instagram and Facebook at Alicia Delory Author, as well as on TikTok at Alicia D. Reads and Writes. She also did a TED Talk, and I will have the link connected in our show notes for you to look at that as well. I'd also love for you to check out the course that I created for new moms who are newly in the postpartum period and are specifically looking for therapy, having a hard time connecting with a therapist, or just need a little bit of guidance themselves during those first few months. The course is designed to help you understand what is going on, give you some tools to help deal with how you're feeling, and be accessible and available to you whenever you need at all hours of the day because it's online and on demand. Go to wellmindperinatal.com courses to learn more. Thank you so much for being with us. Until next time. Please find the Mom and Mind podcast on momandmind.com or wellmindperinatal.com where you can also find access to my free online mini course that is specifically designed for people experiencing anxiety in the postpartum period. Or you can learn more about the three and a half hour self-paced course that I created just for managing postpartum stress. You can also connect with us on social media at mom and mind on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for tuning in and learning more about perinatal mental health. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.